Where was I when Superman died? According to a DC Comics house ad that ran at the time, Superman was slated to die in Superman issue 75 on sale November 20th, 1992. Fall of 1992 meant Superman died while I was in my first semester of college in Philadelphia, PA. There were quite a few local stores in and around Center City, Philly at the time, but no doubt I was picking up the majority of my comics habit back in my hometown of Reading, PA. I may have seen the news spread on TV or even in newspapers leading up to that pivotal issue, but honestly that part of my memory has faded into time. What I do remember about the week that Superman died are two things. One, that my older sister called me on the day of the release of Superman 75 because she had heard about the death of Superman on the radio and tried to go to Golden Eagle Comics to purchase a copy for me, but the line was way, way too long. The other thing I remember, to go back to that house ad and the possible on-sale street date of November 20th, is that Superman died on my birthday. Now, I didn't get my hands on a copy of that issue at the time. I had to settle for a second or third print. It would probably take more than a decade to get one of those first print, unsealed, polybagged issues of Superman 75, because of course, years later, their value dropped considerably. But I did continue reading the event. In fact, I would read all of the Superman titles because of the event, and I would stick with them for several years after. So for me, the death of Superman dropped at a time in my life when I had a lot going on. I was an avid comics reader, I was starting a new time in age and location, and I was excited about the potential for this dramatic event. You're listening to Just Another Fanboy Presents The Death of Superman, episode number three, Under Fire. Hello and welcome to Just Another Fanboy Presents The Death of Superman. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and our introduction this week was submitted by the podfather himself, Peter Rios from the Daily Rios Podcast. You can find that podcast at thedailyrios.com, and you can follow Peter over on Twitter under the handle Peter J. Rios. And thanks, Peter, for the introduction this week. I have to admit, deep down in my soul, that I am more than a little jealous that you can say that Superman died on your birthday. And I cannot. I'm a, yeah, jealous, green-eyed monster of envy is building up inside of me. And frankly, I think that is fuel to begin a feud between our two podcasts. I don't know, maybe, we'll see. For the rest of you folks, if you'd like to submit an introduction to be used as a cold opening to a future episode of Just Another Fanboy Presents, all you got to do is record yourself answering this question. Where were you when Superman died? Then send me that file to justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. Just make sure to include in the email how you want to be identified in the episode, where the folks can find you online and any podcast or project that you'd like me to plug. I, of course, reserve the right to refuse using any submission, as uh, I'm not about to plug a podcast or a website from someone that's full of hate speech. So keep that in mind as well. For more information, look for the Where Were You When Superman Died bonus episode 
right here on this feed. All right. So today we're looking at the comics released during week three of the death of Superman event 30 years ago. And in this case, as it is with most of the weeks during the event, we have just one issue to look at, and that's The Adventures of Superman number 497. This went on sale on October 27th, 1992, 30 years ago today. It had a cover price of $1.25, and the title of this issue is Under Fire. It was written by Jerry Ordway, pencils by Tom Grummet, inks by Doug Hazelwood, the letters were by Albert de Guzman, and the colorist was Glenn Whitmore. Now, as I did in the previous episode, I'm going to read you the synopsis of this issue from over on dcfandom.com. Unfortunately, the synopsis is quite sparse. It simply says, after Doomsday takes out the whole Justice League, Superman is left to take him on alone. That's it. That's the synopsis. I mean, yeah, basically that's what happened in the issue, but Good Lord, there's just so much more. So we open up where we left off in the last issue, and that's the the house of Mitch and his mother and baby sister that has been destroyed by Doomsday. The Justice League is out of commission. Doomsday has leapt off into the far distance somewhere off onto the horizon, and uh, Superman has flown after him. As the previous issue ended, Mitch was calling out for Superman to come help because what's left of their home is on fire and it's about to collapse in on Mitch's mom and baby sister, and he is unable to do anything about it. So that's where we are as this issue opens, and we get a bit of narration from Mitch. He is calling out to Superman. He's losing his voice because of all the smoke. Some of the Justice League members are starting to stir, but they really can't do anything. They're they're barely able to stand, and that's when the the home actually begins to collapse. Now, we do see a bit of Superman up there in the sky with Doomsday, and he's thinking to himself that yes, Mitch, I can hear you, but he's kind of hoping that there's somebody left from the Justice League that can that can help this kid out, and he has popped Doomsday a fresh one, and then he turns to look back at the uh, the remnants of the home, and he can see that no one from the Justice League is able to help. Before he can zip on back there and help, however, Doomsday is back in the sky, leaping at Superman, and he belts Superman a good one. Mitch, who we're still getting narration from, he can actually see them up there in the sky. He says, you know, in his narration that they're they're rather far away, but he could see that Superman had turned to look back and Mitch was really happy about that. You know, that's it, fine, that's it, great, he can see us, he's coming back. But then he sees Doomsday punch him. He says that sounds like thunder. And that's, again, that's when the, the, the house starts to collapse in on his mom. But suddenly Bloodwind is there to save her. And he holds the wall up that is about to fall in on her just as Superman does finally arrive, scoops her and the baby up and gets them out of the house. Now, the EMTs have arrived and uh, various members of the Justice League are being loaded onto ambulances. Superman, of course, suggests to Mitch that he get his mom into an ambulance and to the hospital. He tells the EMTs to contact Maxwell Lord 
over in New York City because he will have all the medical records for these members of the Justice League. And then before he can turn and go back to to you know to return to Doomsday, Guy Gardner, who is laying there on a gurney about to be loaded into the back of an ambulance, reaches out and grabs a hold of Superman and basically tells him, you know, as as well as he can, because he's very he's very out of it. He's been beaten pretty bad. He's not as bad as the Blue Beetle, who is in a coma, but he tells Superman that he better go get this doomsday guy, basically. I, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't remember exactly what he says, but ultimately he's just saying, don't hold back, put this doomsday guy in a pine box, or I'm going to come find you and kick your butt myself. And Superman is basically like, I- I'll handle it, guy. You know, just you just get to the hospital. You worry about yourself. We get a bit from Lois Lane, who is uh, at the... WGBS building, the the television station that Cat Grant is a part of. She's there. She's trying to get into a studio to get Jimmy Olsen. Apparently, Jimmy Olsen at this point during his comic book history is the star of his own TV show in which he plays a superhero called Turtle Boy. And they are taping an episode. And he uh, uh, Lois is not allowed in the studio because they're in the middle of taping. And so there's a security guard outside the studio and he's not allowing Lois in. Cat Grant shows up and she uses her clout as a reporter for WGBS to uh, muscle their way into the studio, telling the security guard that she will take responsibility if if they interrupt anything. And we not only learn that Jimmy Olsen is starring in his own TV show, uh, but that he's also doing it while he is on his lunch break from the Daily Planet, and he's actually been gone for three hours. And Lois yells at him and tells him that if uh, the boss, Perry, finds out what's what, what what's happening, Jimmy's going to be fired. And Jimmy's like, ah, oh, gee whiz, Lois, this is my first TV show. Come on. And she tells him that they have been assigned the Doomsday story, and there's a helicopter waiting for them, and they need to go. And Jimmy is, is of course, he, he, he takes the pictures. Before they leave, however, they get a chance to watch a bit of the news because a news break uh, breaks into the brave and the bold. And it's reported on the news uh, that 30 people have died already in this doomsday rampage, that, that hundreds have been injured, and that doomsday appears to be making a path, uh, a straight path, crossing from Ohio through New York State. And the guy says, some theorize that the creature is on a course straight to or through Metropolis. And we go to Metropolis, to the LexCorp building, Lex Tower, or whatever the frick it's called. And Lex Luthor is there with Supergirl. Now, if you remember from episode zero, at this point, Lex Luthor is, he's he's young. Uh, He's probably in his mid to late 20s. And he has long red hair. This is a clone of Lex Luthor, but as far as anyone else is concerned, this is Lex Luthor II, Luthor's long-lost, estranged son who grew up in Australia. And Supergirl and Lex apparently have a relationship, the kind of relationship where they kiss in bed late into the night and do other things. And so they're watching this news report, and Supergirl wants to go. She wants to go help Superman. But Lex, he won't allow her. 
to do that. He doesn't tell her, no, you stay here. I command it. But basically he says, uh, you know, he, 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 he tries to be nice about it. She thinks she, I, I believe, boy, I'm getting all excited here. I believe that she, uh, also believes that he is, uh, Lex Luthor the second. She doesn't know who he really is. And she is, oh, so madly in love with him. But he basically says, no, he needs, uh, his Supergirl there with him. And uh, besides, they need a contingency plan in case this menace makes his way to Metropolis. So we get back to Doomsday. And um, again, he, I believe at this point, uh, Doomsday is in New York State, making a beeline toward Metropolis. He does not appear to have any goal in mind other than just moving forward and destroying anything in his path. Maxima from the Justice League shows up, who had left the fight to take Blue Beetle into the hospital. She's a super powerful character. I don't know much about her other than the fact that she is an alien princess of some sort, and she has one boot that goes up to her thigh, and the other boot only goes up to her ankle, which for somebody who likes things, uh, you know, a bit of uh, symmetry in art, I, I find her costume, uh, it, it hurts. It hurts my soul. It hurts my heart to look at because I need both of those boots to be the same length. It drives me crazy that one is uh, longer than the other one. But she is super strong, so she takes the fight to Doomsday. She is a, uh, I think I mentioned this on the previous, on one of the, on the previous episode, that she's very much kind of a, uh, a, a warrior or, or part of a warrior race. She's all about war and fighting, and and uh, she's basically like a a, a human-looking Klingon. She looks like a human. She's got red hair. She's very fine-looking, but she's got the like the the mentality of a, of a Klingon when it comes to uh, honor and fighting and and all that junk. So she is uh, again. She's taking the fight to Doomsday. Superman joins up with her. At one point, she is just whooping up on old Doomsday and Superman admonishes her because she knocks Doomsday into a building or a house or something uh, like that. And Superman's like, whoa, settle down. You you could hurt people. There are, there are innocent people around. You have to keep that in mind. And Maxima just is angry. And, you know, she basically tells him to F off, but, you know, in a, in a nice way that, that gets by the, the comic code authority, but she does take a swing at him for daring to tell her how to take the fight to somebody. And he catches her fist in air and he's like, settle down. I'm just telling you to look where you're swinging, you know, keep that kind of stuff in mind. And so the two keep fighting doomsday. There's, there's at one point, a couple of military helicopters show up and they try to help take doomsday out. Um, at one point while doomsday has, you know, basically knocked Maxima and Superman around and they're they're kind of getting their second wind. This helicopter shows up and it fires three missiles at Doomsday, but Doomsday sees them and is able to leap through the helicopter as they are firing their missiles. So he's he's on the ground. The helicopter shows up and they're like, "We oh no, he sees us, but we have a lock, uh, a missile lock. So fire." And by the time they get that out, Doomsday's in the air. He has leapt through the helicopter, destroying it, and the missiles have gone wild. Suddenly, Superman's there. He saves both of the pilots. He grabs one of the missiles out of the air and directs it towards Doomsday. 
it blows up and knocks Doomsday to the ground, giving Superman a moment to get the pilots to safety and grab the other two missiles before they blow up uh, anybody or anything. Superman does mention in his brain at one point that Doomsday appears to only be about destruction, that the only thing that's on Doomsday's brain is destroying, killing, that kind of thing. And there's also a moment during the book where Superman, again, in his brain, wonders if Doomsday is getting stronger. It appears to him that the more that they battle, the stronger Doomsday appears to be getting, or Doomsday has been holding back. Uh, I don't know, or Superman doesn't know, but he just, he realizes or it feels to him at one point that Doomsday appears to be getting stronger. And there's also a moment in this book, in this issue anyway, where Superman declares that he's he's no longer holding back. But there are a number of moments in this issue where, again, they kind of remind us that while Doomsday is just destruction personified, he doesn't give a crap about anything or anyone around him. Superman, on the other hand, has to think about the innocent people around him as he is fighting Doomsday. So even though he declares that he is no longer holding back, to a certain extent, he still has to hold back because it's not like they're out in the middle of nowhere. If they were out in the middle, you know, of, of a big desert, then Superman probably would really just lay it on thick and really go to town on Doomsday. Uh, but because he has to basically have part of his brain in the fight and the other part of his brain thinking about the innocent people around them and the, the collateral damage and all of that, that does give Superman a bit of a disadvantage at this point. But as the issue is wrapping up and Superman and Maxima are battling Doomsday, they find themselves at a, uh, a gas station, basically, because Superman knocks Doomsday into a gas pump as he is thinking to himself that Maxima appears to be reveling in this fight. She seems to really be enjoying it. Uh, but as he he knocks Doomsday into this gas pump, gas goes flying into the air and Maxima pulls a light post out of its base and sparks go flying and then the gas station explodes. And uh, it's a wonderful panel. I'm going to I'm going to talk about the art here as soon as we're done with the story. But it leaves uh, Superman and Maxima unconscious. Doomsday is still very much awake and he just goes trudging off into the distance, still making his way forward toward Metropolis, uh, across New York State and toward Metropolis. That's when a new character to the story shows up, a guy by the name of Guardian. I don't know a lot about him. Uh, even my memories from the last time I read this are very sparse. He appears to be somewhat of a Captain America type guy. And in fact, I believe he is from the, the World War II era. And this version of the Guardian is actually a clone that was created uh, from the, 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 the Cadmus Project. I don't know if they're called the Project, but I know they're called Cadmus. And he comes rolling up on his motorcycle. Like Captain America, uh, the Guardian has a shield. I don't think he's, he has any superpowers. I think he's, he's basically a, a, a regular dude, or maybe he's, he's uh, slightly enhanced like Captain America is. I, I really feel like 
from my memories, this guy is basically without the the America motif. He is basically DC's version of Captain America because he is from World War II. He has a shield. His shield is uh, is shaped like a, a the the type of badge a police officer would have, like a, a New York City police officer. And I believe he has that because he too used to be a police officer back during the 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 days of the 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 second war he even comes rolling up on a motorcycle and the shield is on the front of the motorcycle just like captain america used to always do back in the 80s he had his shield that would sit on the front of the motorcycle and we actually saw that in the one of the captain america movies the first captain america movie in fact uh but he arrives as superman and maxima are waking from being unconscious there's destruction all around. Guardian is asking Superman if, you know, basically he's like a uh, Monday morning quarterback. He's coming in after the game and he's questioning the job that Superman did, you know, from the sidelines. He's all like, was all this necessary? This destruction? Wasn't there some other way? And right away, I'm just like, shut up. You were not here. Don't start questioning Superman. Don't act like you know how to, you know, what, how this, this situation could have gone down. And, and, uh, but Superman responds that there, there's always another way, but it doesn't alter the fact, he says, that he still has to go out there and stop Doomsday. And he says, and now I realize that I have to do it alone. And that's where the issue ends. So seeing Guardian in this issue does make me remember you know, again, this event is being told in the, the the four Superman books that are being published at this time in 92. And each of these books, while there are certain elements that weave in and out of each of these books, for example, characters like Lois Lane and, and, and Superman, you know, some of the main characters of the Superman mythos, Lois, Jimmy, Perry White, The Daily Planet, Lex Luthor, there are uh, these supporting characters, such as the Guardian, that are really more kind of uh, part of the individual titles. So the, the Guardian is a supporting character in The Adventures of Superman. And I feel like whenever we see characters like the Guardian and um, Cadmus, anything to do with Cadmus and the, the characters that, that kind of have uh, something to do with, with that part of the story... We're only going to see that in the Adventures of Superman, and we'll we'll see that with a lot of these books. You know, with with each of these four books, there are while they have the main story that's flowing through all four of them, there are certain elements and supporting characters that will only show up in the book that they are part of. Um, which, on the one hand, I find is kind of odd, but you know, whatever. It's it's the way that the that the books are set up. Now, this is, of course, this was written by Jerry Ordway. So we have uh, now our third writer coming into the, the death of Superman. At first, I was a bit confused that maybe because the way this issue starts off, the 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 way the issue. OK, bleh, let me let me talk like a like a normal human being for a second. The way the previous issue, Superman 74, the way that was left off, Superman is in the air and he's about to catch up to Doomsday. And he hears Mitch back at the uh, at the house that just got destroyed. He can hear Mitch calling for him. And he's trying to decide at that point, you know, the cliffhanger is, do I go back and save Mitch and his mom and baby? 
or do I keep going forward and stop Doomsday and potentially save hundreds of other people? But then when this issue opens up, Superman is fighting Doomsday in midair. So it's not a seamless transition from one book to the other. There's also a few moments in this book where like Superman at one point refers to Doomsday as Mr. Destructo. And some of the one of the helicopter pilots keeps referring to Doomsday as Bubba. And at first I, I thought, OK, did did uh, Jerry Ordway not get the, the memo that Doomsday is now called Doomsday? That was established in the, the previous issue or, or the, the second issue into the storyline and then further established in the third issue, which was the, the Superman 74. So Booster Gold refers to the creature as it's as if Doomsday has arrived or, or it's, it's like Doomsday down there or something like that as that Justice League issue is ending. And then as Superman 74 is opening, Superman basically says, what did what did Booster refer to this creature as? Oh yeah, Doomsday. And so then for the rest of the issue, he's known as Doomsday. And so Superman, like I said, at one point he refers to him as Mr. Destructo and calls him the, the creature or the monster. And I'm just like, at one, I, I start getting really confused. Again, like I said, did, did Jerry Ordway not know that it's okay to refer to this dude as doomsday at this point. But Mitch does refer to him as doomsday before Superman starts calling him the creature and, and Mr. Destructo and whatnot. But I was, I was a bit confused there at first. Uh, probably would not have been if I was reading this week to week other than kind of back to back. But I just found that kind of odd. You know, it's, it's always one of those things that you run up against when you're, when you're reading a, a crossover story like this, that, has multiple writing teams on it. You know, you, the, the hope is that everything ties together seamlessly, but, uh, there's always the danger of, you know, maybe certain issues that, well, for example, maybe my, my fear was, or my concern was at first that maybe Jerry Ordway wrote this issue before Dan Jurgens wrote the justice league and the Superman issue. And so there was some, some confusion there, but once I got a bit further, the, the, that, that fear was gone. It, it, while it's not a seamless transition between Superman 74 and the adventures of Superman 497, it's still, uh, you know, again, and we're only, we're only four issues in to this storyline, but it's Mike Carlin so far is doing a really good job of, of keeping everything, uh, tied together. And, uh, so it was a baseless fear I had, but it's, I, I felt it was worth mentioning because it's just one of those things that, that happen. And, and I find that the more modern comics these days do a really bad job of, uh, keeping stuff tied together when you have multiple writing teams doing a, a crossover storyline. But anyway, other than that baseless fear I had, uh, it was, a, another great issue. The art in this issue is gorgeous. The art team of Tom Grummet and Doug Hazelwood. Uh, the this is my favorite art team of the four Superman titles that are being released at this point. Uh, big fan of Tom Grummet. He he has almost a John Byrne slash Jim Lee thing going on. It's very classic. It's a very classic look that for me you can't help but I mean it's unmistakably when I see this art it's it's unmistakable that it's Tom Grummet. So there is a bit of, of a, a style there that, that you recognize as Tom Grummet, but it hasn't quite hit that 90s flair that has started to erupt at this time. 
where a lot of artists and a lot of books start emphasizing the art over the story and the art begins to look rather ridiculous because of that. That's that's not Tom Grummet at all. It's it's like he has a foot in that classic house style and then a foot in the more modern at the time uh, stylistic approach that really just makes him an excellent artist. Uh, again, it reminds me a lot of John Byrne in the fact that many of the men's faces and women's faces, they all look the same. You know, John Byrne has kind of that curse where if you took uh, Steve Rogers and Tony Stark and, you know, various Marvel male characters and put them together, took away their facial hair and took away their hair, they would look almost exactly the same. Now, I mean, that's not necessarily 100% true. You, you do see, you know, if you can, if you really study a lot of that, you can see some subtle differences between characters and you, you get that here with Tom Grummet as well. But at the same time, there's a lot of similarities and it doesn't, it doesn't take me out of anything. Uh, again, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, he's probably in my, my top 10, top 15 when it comes to artists of all time, maybe top 20. Uh, but these were the issues that I always looked forward to when I was reading through this, uh, this event for the first time back in the nineties. And, uh, Eventually, when we get to the point where Superman has died, and I'm not, I'm not giving anything away here, people. Uh, these aren't spoilers. This is a 30-year-old story. When Superman dies and they introduce the four Supermen that the readers at the time are trying to determine, you know, is one of these the real Superman? They, they, they split the, each one of these Supermen into the four books. And The Adventures of Superman has Superboy. And it was my favorite title of the four. And a lot of that is because Tom Grummet and then Jerry Ordway. I think Jerry Ordway is a, a great writer. And the, the Superboy book of the four was my favorite and the one I looked forward to each and every month. I don't know that there's really a lot more that I want to say about this issue. It was a lot of fun. We learned maybe it's hinted at Superman wonders about the power level of Doomsday. So, so basically in this issue, we we kind of are left to believe that possibly Doomsday gets stronger, kind of like the Hulk, maybe the angrier he gets, the the, the stronger he gets, or uh, maybe it's something completely different. The, uh, the more he fights, the more punishment, the more that he's hit, uh, the stronger he gets, the more powerful he gets, which doesn't bode well for Superman. This is the issue that uh, we get our first Lex Luthor and Supergirl appearance in this storyline and in, in the death of Superman storyline. And we get our first appearance of the guardian in this storyline. I don't recall if Jimmy Olsen had shown up yet. I don't think so. This might be our first Jimmy Olsen appearance in the death of Superman event as well. But again, we're kind of in that part of the story where we're, we're in the first arc, which ultimately is just a big fight between Superman and doomsday, but a lot of destruction as mentioned in the book, 30, 30 people have died so far hundreds injured, a lot of destruction, a lot of damage, and it's just going to get bigger from here. But yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say. So instead, I'll just thank all y'all for listening to today's episode of Just Another Fanboy Presents. If you want to drop me a line and ask me a question or provide a bit of feedback or even both, you can email me at justanotherfanboy at gmail.com or you can use the Just Another Fanboy voice line at 
to leave a voicemail or send me a text. You can also reach out to me on Twitter by using the handle at Stephen or else or join in on all the fun over at the forum at forum.justanotherfanboy.com. Or frankly, I would love it if you did both. And hey, if you feel up to uh, throwing a little support my way, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr for just a dollar a month. And in return, I'm going to do my best to get you podcast episodes just like this one before anybody else gets them. Anybody else but the patrons, that is. I also invite you to subscribe to the Stephen Says Stuff newsletter. This is a free substack where I send you every podcast episode I create each week right to your inbox the morning of release. And you know what? If you listen to this show on Apple Podcasts, I would certainly appreciate it if you would give the show a rating over there. All the links that I mention here will be in the show notes. So if you've already taken the time to scramble around the house and find a pen and paper and write all that down, I apologize. It's right there in the show notes. Sorry. So yeah, join me back here next week when we'll be looking at Action Comics number 684, Doomsday is Near. But until then, I'm Steven. And I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other, folks. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>